Hello and welcome to News Underground, Radio 1190's bi-weekly news program here right on Radio 1190, 1190 AM, 98.9 FM, translator code K255DA Boulder. Today I am here with Matthew Bethencourt and Danny Rankin, organizers for the upcoming What Festival here on at CU. Thank you for having us on. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Let me just get one of those mics worked out real quick. Da, da, da. All right. All right. So thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Happy to be here. All right. So anyways, could you, so what exactly is the what festival? So what exactly is the what festival? You have to do it in that voice. Yeah. Technically you're supposed to say it uh, as what every time you, you, you say it. So maybe you could ask the question again. All right, so what is the what festival? Yeah, good. Yeah, so I can't do the voice like you guys. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're doing great. It's, so it's an experimental games and interactions festival. It's basically us uh, kind of curating an arcade of weird games and then bringing in a whole lot of really interesting speakers and game makers to kind of talk about the way they do their craft and hopefully help people understand it better. Yeah. And this has been going on for a couple of years now? This is the second year, yeah. Oh, very nice. How, uh, how did last year's festival go? Really well, yeah. Um, it was just kind of open up to everybody, so we had a bunch of people coming through, um, playing the games, seeing the speakers, doing all sorts of fun stuff. So Yeah, and, you know, we pretty much are just doing the same thing, except slightly bigger this year, except that we've kind of separated the thing into two tracks, which is like one's like an arcade where you can come in and that's open to everybody, and you can just play the games, and then there's the conference, which has all the speakers and panels and stuff. All right. So um, what would you say is the main point of the event? What's your main goal with the event, if there is one? Um, I think to bring out, like, all of the weird and wonderful things that games can do. Like, we all know that games are fun and games, you know, are uh, something. Yeah. Something. Yeah, something yeah, not quite meaningless, but something that you can do in your free time that's kind of like, oh, that's cool. Um, and that's entertaining, but that it can be more. And so looking at weird experiences or narratives or uh, marginalized voices and just all the different uh, things that games can yeah. do beyond that. A lot of the games we bring in aren't traditional, you know, the things you think of when you think about gaming. Um, a lot of them are Fortnite kinda, is not there. No, there's no Fortnite. No. There's no, I don't know. There's no battle royales at all. No, I mean, yeah. the closest thing would be totally accurate battle simulator, which is not a battle Really or sloppy forgeries, which is a people a fighting painting game. Yeah, well, almost competitive painting game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there were I read that there were some experimental tabletop games as well. Yeah. So um, what do we have? Uh, Wavelength, which is really great, um, and that's kind of like a crowd mind reading. How would you just? Yeah, it's like crowdsourcing mind reading. You sort of choose between two extremes and then people sort of uh, try and mentally beam uh, what they think a particular topic fits on a spectrum. It's a, it's a weird game. It's fun. We saw, we met the creator uh, a few weeks back and, and yeah, they're, they're fortunately going to let us show it. It's kickstarted, but hasn't shipped yet. So, and there's that, there's um, some weird competitive cooperative puzzle Mm -hmm. building uh, out of puzzles that look like pizzas, pizza puzzles. Game based on a Japanese game show? Yeah, punishment game show, yeah. card game. Um, yeah. 
It's weird. I don't know. If you're asking us what we're really trying to do, I think we're just trying to get weird with games, basically. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a fun time. Do you have any kind of uh, favorite games demonstrations you've seen so far with uh, what the is slated for this year? Oh, man. Um, so I was just on the – I was just Skyping with uh, this guy, Paul, um, who made a game that I saw at GDC that I just really loved that's called um, Extra Reality Codebreaker. And it's this box with a screen in it that looks like an old-timey – television and it's all puzzles and it's just really like exquisite and simple and i think that that's really neat i think you're not going to see that anywhere else it's like not something that you're going to go and be able to buy at the store or get shipped to your house um it will only be here and so i'm really excited about that for people to see that i think really good yeah i mean i'm really excited about the ichi zone um because everybody talks about how much they both love and hate it and uh, i haven't experienced it so i'm excited to see people do that that's like a mixture. What do they they call it? A mixture between uh, Dark Souls and Jackbox Party Pack. Yeah, and a crowd punishment game is like Excel to spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> we okay. So I'm curious now. Uh, crowd punishment game. Yeah. So you said that was based off a Japanese game show. No, actually, we have two things one. that oh, are yeah. p- crowd punishment game show related. Yeah. This one is. You, you basically, like, the game can't start. There's a timer that's going, and the game can't start for a certain amount of time. It's like 20, 30 minutes. Uh, and once it does start, if you do anything wrong, if at any point you don't do exactly what it says, so it'll be like, click, disclose uh, uh, windows by clicking the right button, and then move thing with the left button. If you do anything wrong, the timer restarts. Uh, and so it's this weird, like, it's supposed to be up in a party space, and people are trying to just do whatever the game tells them to do, but it really hates you. Like, the game does not want you to succeed. Yeah. Uh, but people love it. It's great. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I don't know. Like, our goal and with a lot of these games is start arguments with, uh, like, whether or not this is a game at all. Some of them. Some no, of them. No. We also have some some really cool, just kind of experimental games that I think are really fun yeah. that are showing at the festival too. So. Very nice. And uh, as for speakers, who do you uh, have coming to the what the what festival this year? There you go. Good. Yeah. Our two keynote speakers are uh, Jason Rohr, uh, who is a just one of our favorite game designers. He um, did uh, Passage, which is in the collection of MoMA. It was in the first batch of, of games that they added into MoMA. Um, he's made just like a bunch of really crazy, fun, interesting games where he's kind of really pushing the envelope of, of what a game is. Um, one of my favorites of his is um, game, it's a game called The Game for Someone, which was um, GDC for years, which is the game developers con- uh, conference, where it would do a contest where they would have a theme and, and people would submit games. And he won the very last one. They stopped doing it. Uh, and it was called The Game for Someone. Probably because of him. I it think. might have been because of him. And he did the whole presentation. He built the entire game out of titanium, and he's buried it in the desert. Uh, and he gave out like millions of coordinates to find it uh, that he thinks will take not millions, he thousands of coordinates. Thousands, yeah. he, thinks he thinks it's going to take, take like a hundred years to play the game. A it'll take a thousand years or something like that to, to play the game, game to find it to be able to play it. Um, but it'll survive that whole time. So it's kind of like a game that's been like hidden out somewhere in the world. It's kind of like, kind of more like a giant puzzle in itself. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so he's one of our speakers, and then Colleen Macklin is the other, and um, she's out of Parsons, where I went to grad school, um, and just been uh, very fond of her for a long time, so super excited to get to have her come out. She's done one of our favorite games that we teach our um, introductory game design classes with. It's called The Metagame, and it's basically like a 
framework in which to play lots of different games and to kind of use that to think about game design in general and the, the formal elements of game design. Uh, and then with her company, Local Number 12, she has a new game coming out called Lost Words that's a really uh, fun puzzle word game using uh, books that are in the Creative Commons. Yeah, she's like a great thinker about games. She's written a couple of really great books on game design too. So yeah. it'll be fun to see what she has to say. Big time. Big time! Very interesting. What? So um, the, you said this is the second year that the festival has been going on. Um, where did the original idea for the festival come from? How did you kind of come up with the idea to, well, how did um, the idea of the what festival come mm. to uh, fruition? Um, so I've been going to lots of different game festivals for years. Um, there was a one that I really, really liked uh, when I was out in New York called, um, originally it was called 256, and then it was called Kill Screen. This guy Jamin Warren put on, um, and that was really influential to me. Like he would bring in just like people that are really thinking about games in different ways and interview them, um, and I just really really liked that. And so when I came out here and we started kind of Danny and I started our, our lab and we were thinking about games, I kept thinking about that conference and how much I liked that and just the ability to bring people that are thinking about games in a different way out here. I didn't see that happening. Yeah, there's really nothing in this general geographic location that we felt like fit that bill exactly there's yeah. there's other people doing game related stuff but never in the way that we wanted it to be kind yeah. of and we're pushing boundaries and stuff we're super bit. excited about community too so we knew that there's a lot of people here that are making games and thinking about games and to try to like have a i don't know not a flagship thing but a thing that everyone can kind of say like oh yeah that's this thing that we go to every year and, and think about games in maybe a different way is, is yeah and uh we pretty much didn't know how we were going to pay for it and then we uh, applied for a EEF grant through engineering engineering excellence engineering excellence fund grant and, and then they're like yeah super generous so we get to do it which is yeah. great because then it, all the students get to go for free and we get to pay for all these amazing speakers to come out yeah. it's also a really good excuse for us to like meet some of our heroes yeah we're like hey we have money you want to <laughs> come out and hang out with us we'll pay you money to come <laughs> hang out with us <laughs> wait I mean I mean they're just the distinguished they're attracted to how good we are <laughs> um, yep who are some more of those uh, kind of like <laughs> figures that you want to invite out? Do you feel like you have any plans in the future for who else you might want to have out for the what festival? Yeah, we're always thinking about it. It was actually, so the other um, co-creator, uh, my partner Lisa, and I were just driving around yesterday, and I was like, who are we going to bring out next year? Um, and there's a bunch. Um, I, won't, I don't think I want to No, I don't want to spoil, spoil it. it. Talk about who we brought out last year, but yeah. Yeah, last year we brought out uh, Pippin Barr, who's an amazing game designer who's now out of uh, Montreal, but he's from New Zealand. Uh, who just is like, right now, if anyone's interested in weird things that are happening in, in games, please follow Pippin Bar because yeah, he is on like a mission to make a game. It's like every, at least every couple weeks, if not more frequently, he's oh, making man. so many games right now. It's great. Out of control. Uh, and then Maddie Bryce, who I met through Indicade, which is the kind of uh, independent game festival it's out like in the LA. The Sundance of games. Yeah. Um, so I met her uh, through that, and um, she teaches also at Parsons, where I went to school, and is running the, their thesis classes. And I just had some good conversations with her when I met her and thought that she'd be a great speaker. And she's an amazing game maker as well. Yeah. She's really made some like really interesting things. All right, that's great. That's yeah. interesting to hear, kind of like, um, like having the personal relation to like some of these speakers as well. Um, I have to ask, have you had any challenges when it comes to setting up the festival or working with the festival? Um, is there anything that's maybe like kind of uh, 
uh, been like that have like uh, any challenges you faced in trying to get it set up? Well, no. we had a flood. Everything is perfect. <laughs> flood? No, yeah. yeah last year. Dude, last year we literally held the festival, and as soon as the festival ended, the entire basement of the Atlas building flooded catastrophically and destroyed like a bunch of things. But that was more like the cleanup went. I know, really, like, actually, the the, it didn't. Great. The only challenge was that um, they had to like rebuild the basement, and they just got it to where we can use it. So they're letting us use it again. We're the first thing to go back in there, and everybody's like, please don't. What happened? A flood clear. happened. Out of commission, and now what's back? What? So. Yeah. What? Yeah, no. Other than that, though, I mean, I think it's hard to get people to understand what it is that we're doing. Because yeah. a lot of the times when yeah. you say games, one of the biggest challenges, people are like, well, I'm not really into games. Or they're like really into gaming in a particular sense. And when we're like, do you want to play a weird game that makes you feel sad and think about art? They're like, no. So... And we know that that crowd exists because uh, we have lots of friends that live in that space and make games in that space. Um, but, yeah, kind of like finding the promotion bandwidth and the, the right people to talk to about it is always a challenge because when you say games, a lot of people have, like, preconceived notions about what it yep. is, and we're trying to kind of blow that up anyway. So you feel like one of your goals is kind of to uh, shift what um, what kind of like we think of as games or what we think when we think of playing games yeah if not shift expand it just yeah. to kind of and and we love playing like lots of mainstream games too i just bought the new zelda game it's yeah. super fun yeah. I, it is not to be featured at what there's no way that it would no, be it's not weird enough to be fe- yeah. that's like the question we ask a lot of the time with games we're like is this game weird enough yeah um and uh this year there's they, a lot of weird they games. all are yeah yeah so yeah it's us <laughs> yeah, I think it's like bringing up different focus of conversation, right? So it's like, oh, that idea of like, yeah, game is fun. that game's fun. But instead of saying like, that game made me think about something in a different way. Or that game made me realize that what it's like for another person in their experience. Or yeah. that game really confused me. Mm-hmm. Or that game might not even have been a game. Yep. <laughs> like that's... We're always into that. Although we do, there's like room for like two fun games in the festival. I'm just kidding. I think a lot of the games at the festival are really fun. <laughs> but yeah. Is there any games you think aren't fun? Mm, I don't know. Probably. I can't think of any other time I had that. I don't think. I mean, I think they're all fun in their own special way. But if I were to like give the synopsis of certain games, I think people would be like, like "No, that's no, I don't play that. that sounds sad." But that sounds like it's going to make me feel uncomfortable. I think they're all fun. I think, I think they're all fun, yeah. They're all weird and fun. Yeah. We did it. Do you have any kind of, like, criteria when it comes to kind of deciding games? Because it sounds like a lot of the games are kind of, like, introspective. But do you feel like there's anything that's kind of, like, a must when it comes to, like, selecting them? Uh, it makes you say... It makes you say, what? 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 Yeah, and there's, like, a, different, a lot of different reasons why you would say that. Yeah, you might say that because it's just, like, so incredibly mind-blowingly different. Yeah. Ichi Zone is in no way introspective. No, it is a weird, <laughs> fun, yelling crowd. Yeah. Um, we're super excited about the Bear Warp game. That's going to be really fun. Yeah, and that's a game where people literally race each other by blowing into old Nintendo cartridges. Yeah. And the visuals for the game are made from an old circuit bent Nintendo. Yeah. And when I say that, people go, what? Yeah. And that's a good criteria for the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was... <laughs> I was at an event with Justin, who's one of the Bear Warp guys, and he was like, yeah, I think we want to do this this year. What? And immediately you're like, yep, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whatever you want, do that. 
<laughs> Sometimes you can just tell. <laughs> I haven't played it yet. I have no idea. I don't know if well, it's the, this is the first time. This is the, like the yeah, premiere debuting at what is that what? Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Interesting. Interesting. Um, do you get a lot of games like that that debut at what, or are most of them kind of like already out there in the field? Uh, yeah. That I think that might be the only one this year. There's a lot of things that aren't com- uh, that aren't available commercially. So Hot Swap, which comes out of the Atlas Institute, where we are both housed as faculty. Um, that's been around like that was at GDC and it's going to be at Indicate next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, for most people in Colorado, that's the first time that you're going to get to play it, or the, maybe even the only time you're going to get to play that. Yeah. There's a lot of games. We like to find games that it's a unique experience to show up and do it. So yeah. like extra reality Codebreaker is a good example yep. of that. Last year we had a game that we built and took to a lot of places called busy work, which is almost like a mixture of an arcade game with like an immersive Office simulator. Office simulator experience. Yeah. And, I mean, only people that came to this festival or the other, like, three places we showed it yeah. got to play it. And then we said, let's never do this again because uh, it's a lot of work. And it's just fun to, like, have an experience that lives and exists and then yeah. is done. So. so it's kind of like a lot of these are one-time experiences, and you feel like that's kind of, do you feel like that's kind of a driving point for um, the festival? Is like it's kind of unique in its own? or So I just think that... I'm really interested, I think both of us are really interested in installation games, and that's kind of what we make. Um, so that busy work game, or we've done a game called Please Hold, where it's all through a phone hold system, but it's on a real analog phone, and we're showing one this year, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, buy, sell, where you yell into phones to buy pretend stocks. But I just think that that's not, that's just one of the like fun game experiences that most people don't get to have. It, it, most people don't get to experience it. And so it's, yeah, it's like partly important for the crowd, but also it's just like, that's just the thing that most people don't get to do. Um, you don't get to experience this like super special one-time only game experience. And those those experiences can be totally compelling and different in a very exciting and, and new way than a normal game. Um, like, I don't know. Breath of the Wild is like super fun and exciting in its in its its way. But being in like a fake office simulation with three other people where you're like honestly passing staplers back and forth and shredding paper in a very curated game like way, like that's a that's a fun thing yeah, that I get. It's a special experience that you can't yeah. get in other places. And I think yeah, that's it's not the only thing we feature, but it's definitely something we try and put into the festival. To and yeah, it's the whole idea is that like games are so much more than just like things that are on your PlayStation. Yeah. If you come to what on Saturday, you will play things that you cannot play at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Are th- is there anything that you hope the festival will motivate CU students to do or any of the attendees to do? Make more weird games. Yes. Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> and like write about games too. And yeah, and talk about games. them and yeah. like, I don't know, just I think games are a space that can pull more like, I don't want to say academic, but intellectual or artistic yeah. cred for people to like really think more seriously about yeah definitely um, and yeah I mean we still love having fun with it. the festival is I mean we have an all you can eat cereal bar it's not like we're super serious about games but mm-hmm. we are pretty serious about games too mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I mean I think there's a wide range of crowd coming right? mm-hmm. so you'll have students that are coming and their parents so I think, and just you know people just happen to be walking by so yeah I think a football game drunk people will probably walk in and be like what is this and we'll be like welcome 
But I think even if like some student brings like their parent, and the parents like, oh wow, games are so much weirder and and more exciting than I thought they were because of you playing Fortnite. Yeah, that's a win. No, there were there were seriously like so many people last year that just said the sentence, wow, I didn't realize games could do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was like, that's it. We did it. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. And this festival is going to be this Saturday, Atlas Basement. Any specific time that students should show up? Well, actually, it's in all of Atlas. Yeah, it's, it's taken over the whole three building. Three floors Ooh. in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, the docks are in the lobby yeah. and the main room. We have games in the basement, uh, arcade throughout the entire yeah. three floors of the building. Basically, the big thing is the arcade is open 11 to 3. Yes. Uh, and that's what's kind of open to the public regardless of tickets. And if you're interested in, like, getting a conference ticket for the conference, which starts at uh, 10, 10. Uh, and runs all day. Um, nine if you want cereal. Nine if you want to eat cereal. Yeah. Yep. Then you go to what.io, which is W-H-A-A-A-T. Three A's. Dot I-O. Yep. And the tickets are $30. There's student uh, scholarships, so students can uh, sign up for free tickets or subsidized tickets through EEF and Atlas. Yeah, if you're a student, you just go in and we ask you what's your name and why do you want to come to this thing? Yes. And then you get to come for free. Yeah. Sounds great. Is there anything else you would like listeners to know about the web festival? Anything you'd like to say? Anything we didn't get to that you'd like to talk about? It's going to be bonkers. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think we did say that. Though. We did say that? Yeah, we've said it a couple times. Not succinctly enough. What? <laughs> So, <laughs> thank you for that. That well, that sounds like an incredibly fun experience. Yeah. Um, I got to stop by now, but thank you. Uh, so that was Matt uh, Bethencourt and Danny Rankin. Thank you guys for having us on mm-hmm. to talk about the. Well, thank you for coming on to talk about the what festival. Yeah. I, I feel like I can't do the boy. The what? <laughs> You're doing fine. Hey, <laughs> but still, thank you for coming down. Um, that was really kind of fun to hear about, and I hope that uh, a lot of people are there on Saturday. It sounds like it's going to be interesting. Uh, so yeah. All right. Go yeah, to this bunch. Thanks a lot. Sounds great. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Coming up next, we also have a interview with. Um, we are going to be playing an interview with Melissa Villarreal on gendered responses to natural disasters right here on Radio 1190's News Underground. All right, let's hear it. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, yeah, my name is Melissa Villarreal, and I'm a PhD student in sociology at CU. Cool, and what piqued your interest in uh, studying the role of, of women in natural disasters? Because that's pretty a pretty niche thing, I think. Yeah, so um, I was a sociology major as an undergrad, and did a lot of my studies were focused on gender dynamics and so that was always part of my interest just gender dynamics in general and I met Michelle who is the co-author and um, listened to her talk about her work and I have personal connections to disasters. Um, I'm from Houston so (laughs) several hurricanes that I've experienced and that was the first time that I heard someone actually studying it. So I was really interested in looking at her work, but 
through that gender training that I had to look at those different dynamics and that's what started that particular project and into my disaster studies now because that's what I ended up following into my graduate studies cool. too. Very interesting. Um, yeah, so this most recent study is about um, how women and men respond differently to natural disasters and um, how that can maybe pose some problems as far as safety and uh, assistance and things like that. So as far as this study, um, how did you go about conducting it? Who, what types of people did you speak to and just what was the process of that? Yeah, so this particular project is that study that um, I heard Michelle talk about. So the interviews were conducted by her and some other folks as part of her study. Um, what I did was then just go through and analyze them uh, for that gender with that gender lens to see what those experiences were like for women and if they differed from men, how they differed, um, what those unique challenges were. So first study was looking at um, just the recovery. They were done about a year after the two disasters, the one in Granbury, which is the tornado, and then the one in West, both in Texas. Uh, the one in West was a fertilizer plant explosion. And so they were just looking at the recovery more generally. Um, and I wanted to go in and analyze those interviews that they had with residents to see those differences, like I mentioned. So um, I was a recently graduated under, uh, at the time, uh, so it was kind of through, or it was through a research for undergraduates program. Um, so it was a very short program and so didn't have time to actually do any, like my own interviews. So it was interesting that these dynamics came through, even though that wasn't the purpose of these interviews, to assess these, these um, differences. They were just so clear anyway. It was, that's, what, that's what was really interesting, I think. Right. And then, yeah, just in your own words, sort of what were the main findings with this study? Yeah, so um, the main findings that I talked about in the paper that we talked about in the paper was um, the priorities that women had. Um, so, for instance, women tend to really want to take protective action much sooner than men. So, meaning that they will like want to get in the closet, right? If there's a tornado outside, they want to um, get their families in there really quickly. But whereas the men were I mean, there's one instance where the man wanted to go and verify, essentially go see that this tornado was out there and um, the woman's kind of waiting for the man to finally come into the closet so that they could, you know, close that and protect their family. And this is just kind of one example of that, that phenomenon happening. So it's kind of um, these different, um, I guess, sense of urgency to take protective action and um, then finding difficulty in getting the men in their lives in their households to listen to them um, and to 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 take the action that they would like. Um, it also showed in their prior their priority to protect their families, particularly their children. So that was always their priority, right? Where are the children? 
where are like where can we go that protects the children versus the men in the recovery were then much more worried about jobs and um which makes sense right if they tend to be the um breadwinner but it's just this difference in what they're focused on which then says a lot about how how they're navigating their recovery and then finally the community um the, com- the sense of community that the women really benefited from, but which they weren't able to really um, take part in as much. So those that did have some form of social support from others in the community really talked about, you know, how that was beneficial to them. But also many of them talked about not being able to do that because they were relegated to the home, right, to cooking or taking care of the children. So even though that was a priority to them and they did want to take care of their families, take care of their children, they also really wanted to be out in the community and helping um, with these more public forms of recovery as opposed to only being at home, which was very lonely, very... um, they really wanted to talk about their experiences, right? And they didn't really have that when they were at home, usually by themselves or just with their younger children, while the men were kind of out doing more physical, public um, community activities to help recover. Mm-hmm. Great. And um, did the study, did, you, did they only talk to, um, like, households with, like, a mother and a father or relationships with a woman and a man, like, do you think that yeah do you think it would be the the same like the same behaviors with like single women or single men or like same sex couples so there were um i'm not completely sure if they were single women but there were some that talked about these dynamics with other not just husbands um they talked about it in terms of like maybe a father-in-law or a father or like just generally men. So there these dynamics that do come through no matter what, but I do think that it would be very different dynamics if we were talking about um, non-heteronormative households, which would be an interesting thing to follow up on. We see um, that there are differences in like division of labor in households with same-sex couples. Um, so it would be interesting to then see what those dynamics look like in disaster recovery. But that just wasn't what these interviews looked like. Um, these communities were largely, um, or these interviews were largely conducted with those that were a man and a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And um, the you also talked about in the study um, about the like relief organizations kind of uh, gravitating towards wanting to communicate with the like the quote unquote man of the house, um, mm-hmm. and do you think that those organizations are are beginning to move away from that sort of ideal? And if they're not, um, should they? Um, yeah. So what's interesting about that is that um, I'm sure that there's some bias there, right? With asking for the man of the house or gravitating towards that, but I also think there's these I don't know what the word for it is, I guess structural um, limitations to that, like sometimes they need to talk to the person who's the actual owner of the house on paper 
um, which often is the man. And so that um, often, like, it, it's, it's this structural thing that's really limiting the ability for women to take or to have that decision-making power. So I think in that sense, that's a little harder to get away from because there needs to be structural changes there. And so um, I don't know that I would say that we're necessarily moving away from that at the moment. Um, like recovery organizations tend to be very <laughs> um, like set in their ways, you know, not really um, open to change that much. And so it would be, um, at least in my experience, and so it would be um, important to to show these types of findings and to show how that affects the recovery to be able to maybe move away from that, um, those types of structural barriers beyond just the bias, right, where um, they might feel that it's more productive to talk to the quote-unquote man of the house. Because um, I think in that sense, people are becoming more aware, but often there's just these limitations that impede that anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, kind of going off of that, the, um, the actual conclusion uh, of the study is that eliminating the male head of household model is crucial for speeding overall household recovery. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you mentioned that organizations are, are hesitant to sort of change their language and things like that. But what do you think either organizations or individuals or somebody else could do to begin to move away from that sort of uh, frame of mind? I think it starts with the research is to, to show how, like how, like what the effects are of that. Because I think a large part of the, of the hesitating to move away from the current language or the current structure, the current rules and things like that, are that they might be under this kind of false understanding that it's working and why change something if it's working. Um, so being able to show that well, it's not working, at least it's not working for these people or these populations or, you know, um, these groups, then um, it can make people a little bit more um, willing to listen and to understand that okay, we actually care about the recovery of communities. We need to listen to them and see what they actually need um, versus what we think they need and what we think works. Um, and it's very hard because every community, you know, these needs change. It's not um, a blanket thing, right? Um, gender dynamics change depending where you are. So it's, it's about, uh, I think, starting with being able to show that maybe like research different um, yeah, different forms of research that can show that, I think, is a good way to start. And um, using that to try to to show folks our results as opposed to just kind of doing research for research sake, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. Just being able to, to use research to make a change and, like, actively make things, systems better, I think. Is a, yeah. yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I mean, I hope that they catch on. I don't know. Um, yeah, is there is there anything else that you would 
like to add just about the study or about your work in general, um, where people can contact you, just anything like that? Sure. Um, thank you um, for talking to me. I think it's important to be able to share this with folks that maybe don't have immediate access to things like the article. Um, sometimes it's easier just to have more of a conversation like this to be able to spread that word and to, to, to use research to try to make a change. So thank you. Um, sure, yeah, so my email would be just melissa.viaviaz. Um, that's V-I-L-L-A-R-R-E-A-L at colorado.edu. Um, if there are any questions from anyone, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk more about all of this stuff and to see if other folks have done similar types of work um, and see what those findings are like. Um, because I think that's what we need to do is to build off each other's work and to really try to move things forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. All right, so that was um, Melissa, 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 Melissa. That was... Melissa Villarreal on gendered responses to natural disasters with our uh, correspondent Anna Haynes. And now for our um, last but not least interview, we have Ellie Marcotte, a uh, art, upperclassman art student who has been doing some work with Aeros the Aerospace uh, Center and produced a mural for them um, that is now up in their building. So thank you for coming on, Ellie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So anyways, I think the first question is, could you kind of like describe what you did for your mural? Kind of like just uh, for people who haven't um, heard about the mur new murals and the new artwork we've been working on, uh, can you tell them a little bit about what um, kind of like what you did for the mural? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, the call for artists went out, um, I think at the beginning of the year, sometime in March, and they asked for um, just like some kind of imagery with an emphasis on technology. But I kind of looked at that prompt and I said to myself, like, we don't really know what technology is going to look like in 10 years just because software, as software changes, hardware changes as well. So what's the point of all of this technology in the first place? It's kind of what I asked myself. And I just figured it's just to get to space. And so that's kind of like what my mural is about. It's just like our collective desire to explore, I guess, the great beyond space. <laughs> Sounds great. So kind of um, what uh, what were your inspirations when you were working on the mural? Did you have anything like specific? Uh, did you have like anyone you were kind of like um, anyone you had in mind when you're creating it? Did you feel like you have any kind of influences in art in general? Um, yeah, I, I would feel like um, uh, a lot of street artists with um, just I mean, you don't really know their names, but like you can see all of their art on the streets and stuff and like the um, the spray paint and all the bright colors. That's a huge inspiration to me. And also the other artist that was working on the big, um, big two-story mural, she was huge, like a huge inspiration to me as well because this is my first mural. I've never, I've never done anything this big. I've never worked in spray paint before. And um, I was honestly really, really nervous. So um, drawing inspiration from somebody that's been doing it for like 30 plus years or however long she's been doing it was really, really helpful. And it was such a great opportunity. What was it like working with her? It was really cool. Um, it was like, 
I don't know, it was surreal, honestly. Like, cause I am so used to thinking of myself as an art student and not an actual artist that like an artist, like an actual established artist in the community talking to me like an equal, it was almost, it was surreal. It, it really was. Um, what inspired you when it kind of get into art and like um, start like as an art student? Um, well, actually I'd say that's probably my grandpa. He, um, he worked as a geologist for most of his life, but he um, is a huge artist in the uh, Loveland community. Um, and he's just kind of been an inspiration to me like for my entire life, um, and I've always looked up to him. And when I was in high school, I, uh, I did this like pre-college pre summer program over at Rhode Island School of Design. And I kind of realized there that like the, that flow, that work ethic flow that artists have, that's kind of where, that's where my sweet spot is, you know? Very nice. Um, do you feel like there are any kinds of challenges that have faced you in art and kind of like with this mural specifically, do you feel like you had any kind of challenges? You mentioned spray paint being kind of like the first experience with that. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there are any big challenges or how, what do you feel like that kind of challenge with um, working with the new medium was like? Um, you know, there were definitely some unexpected challenges. Like I definitely expected one single can of spray paint to last longer than it did. <laughs> um, but more it was, I just kind of looked at it as this is something that I should have fun with, you know? And that kind of took away a lot of the pressure of using a new medium. And I kind of like let myself just like, if I messed up, I would just go over it and I would just make it work. And just, I don't know, I kind of thought of it kind of like an improv show. Um, and I, I love improv, so. <laughs> uh, do you feel like you had to kind of, so you kind of felt like you had to improvise while making the mural? A little bit, a little bit. How but so? It worked. Um, well, I used a reference image, and um, in our original plan, the mural was going to cut off about halfway down the wall because we were going to put like some like uh, portraits of other astronauts and stuff at the bottom. Um, but about midway working through it, we decided like, oh, let's just do the entire wall. So I didn't have a plan for the other half of the wall, <laughs> like I hadn't like designed anything for it. So I kind of just went ham on it one day and just made some snap second decisions, and I think it worked out. That's good to hear. Do you feel like there's any kind of pressure associated with kind of like uh, the mural? Do you feel like you had any kind of pre like kind of did you feel pressured at all while kind of making it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely did feel a lot of pressure working on it just because it's like it's a job. It, it was my first gig. So it's like like I want to make this like make sure that, you know, the department put their faith in the right person um, while making it. And yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a challenge and there was a lot of pressure, but I think I work well under pressure. So <laughs> that's always good to hear. Um, what do you mean when you said the department, like um, the aerospace uh, department? Ah, okay, okay, um, very interesting. So, how do you feel looking at the completed mural? How do you feel? I think it turned out a lot better than even I was expecting. Like, I even like um, during the process of it. I wasn't sure how it was going to look when it came out, but like, I'm really, really satisfied with the end result. Do you feel like you'd want to keep doing murals in the future? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Um, so uh, with um, kind of these designs, um, do you, how do you feel like kind of like past experience played into making them? Do you feel like there's anything kind of like you knew before that helped you out? Do you feel like there's anything like in specific kind of like that? Oh yeah, for sure. Like. Um, just for just as far as like executing like such a big piece, 
Um, I mean, I, I kind of like went in knowing how I was going to do it. Like I set up a projector and stuff and um, made sure to like kind of scale everything right before starting in. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely do think that past experience has helped with this because I do a lot of work on my iPad and stuff. So I have like a lot of experience just in color, I guess. So that, I mean, color is a big thing. <laughs> You used a projector to design the mural? Yeah. Okay, so what was kind of the process of making it? Like, what, what was the step-by-step -step process? So I first took a couple of images that um, I found really inspiring. I repainted them. I put them into Photoshop um, on my iPad and kind of, like, mashed them together, made this composition that I liked of, like, this one astronaut kind of staring off into this, like, abyss of space. And then I just submitted it to them, and um, we just went from there. Very nice. Do you feel like there's any kind of like styles you kind of go for, like anything in specific you have in mind? I know we talk about street art. Do you feel like um, you kind of like work a lot with, do you kind of feel like um, the complete product maybe looks like uh, kind of something you'd see on the street or like kind of like something you'd see like uh, in that style? Yeah, I'd say that like um, you could definitely see the inspiration drawn from street art, but I don't think it looks quite like something that you'd see on the street just because there's just so much paint there. It's so much, it's so layered and really really vibrant so um i feel like if you're doing it on the street you don't really have that much kind of that kind of time <laughs> to put into it okay um and you've done a little bit of um other work as well as well like things like drone conceptualizing yeah yeah back when i was in high school my um my dad was on the board for uh, dji and um he wanted me to like do some kind of uh like drone conceptualizing one that has like six propellers instead of five and like collapsible or instead of three or four and um, collapsible landing gear. Um, and yeah, I just whipped up something pretty quick for him and got paid for it, so. <laughs> Very nice. Um, how, uh, so how do you feel about, what do you kind of feel like the art student experience is? Like as an art student, um, how do you describe it? Do you feel like it's kind of different from other kind of like tr acts um, here at CU? Do you feel like there's anything kind of unique about it? The art student experience here at CU? Yeah, I would say so. Like. Um, being an art student is a whole lot harder than a lot a lot of people give it credit for just because like my first semester here at CU we had to do this um, this sketchbook project right just to give you an example this thing is 28 feet long <laughs> and like I mean 28 feet by 11 inches long we had to fill out the whole thing in ballpoint pen by the middle of the first semester freshman year and like it's it's definitely like it's a lot of hours being put into the studio or just locked in your room and stuff. You don't really have that much of a social life. <laughs> so it was so it's 28 feet long document, 11 inches, and you had to fill the whole thing out with ballpoint pen. Yeah. <laughs> um, interesting. How? What was that kind of like? Uh, did, how did you kind of like go out something like that? Well, this was in the middle of the 2016 election, so I had a lot of material to draw from. Um, and I mean, just just in terms of imagery, but. Um, Really, it was just a lot of long nights, and like um, uh, spreading it across multiple tables in like the study halls of Kit Re of Kit Ridge West. <laughs> so. So with um, so do you have any kind of plans for the future with your art now that you've kind of like um after the mural kind of moving on? Do you have any other plans for your art currently? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think after I graduate, I really want to um, move out to California, kind of check out the art scene over there, and maybe work for some um, mural company. Uh, maybe, like I said, apprentice under some tattoo um, professional or something, see if I can't get a job in that industry. Um, yeah, and 
just, I don't know, I'm kind of playing it by ear like the typical 20-something. <laughs> so, um, anything else you would want us to know about? Anything Anything you'd like to say about kind of the art student experience? Anything like that? Anything you want to talk about? Um, my own student experience. I'd say that like being a student here at CU Boulder has definitely been a life-changing experience as I'm sure like it is for everybody because it's college. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess like all I'd really have to say now is that um, just to be involved, you know, with your community. Like um, the next project that I'm starting um, is this program called Be Someone Boulder. And it just, it's kind of about contributing to the community by just picking up trash around you and just like making everything clean, um, keeping, keeping Boulder like this dream school, you know, like. I, I don't know, just I, I feel like a huge part of the student responsibility is keeping the community impeccable, you know? And how are you, uh, how are you uh, attaining that goal? How are you working towards that goal? Um, you said it kind of, we talked a little earlier, you talked about kind of the design elements of it as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, really, it's just about, like I said, individual responsibility. Um, we just want to spread awareness about um, keeping Boulder clean, keeping uh, this community um, like a united community like we already are. Um, and it's just, uh, just I mean, I guess it's just all about making people aware and encouraging people to just do what they can to make the student experience worthwhile. All right, um, and you have some other work as well. Where can uh, people, uh, where can our listeners check out some of your other work? Yeah, so um, I actually do have some other work. Uh, in it's published in the um, Journal Twenty Twenty volumes. Um, I think I believe it was volume five. I have an article in there actually. It's um, you're not gonna like the language. It's all atheists go to H E L L. Okay. That's just the title. It's just okay. what it's called. <laughs> Something like that is. I I think. Um, it's all good. Don't worry. Okay. I, yeah, we talked a little bit earlier about like profanity on radio. I don't think that counts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. Is this just a title? Like I, yeah, I wasn't. No, it's all good. Don't worry about cool. it. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, Journal Twenty Twenty, you can find some of my work there. Um, and I believe it was Volume Seven. I've got like four or five different drawings published there, and there, one of my pieces is actually on the uh, Journal Twenty Twenty flyers. If you've seen those around campus, but yeah, just plug in for a uh, Journal Twenty Twenty. <laughs> Sounds great. Anything else you'd want us to know? Um, not much. I mean, like, maybe check out my work at uh, www.elliremarcotte.com. It's E-L-L-I-E-R-E-A-M-A-R-C-O-T-T-E.com. Right. That's where you can find me. Sounds great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for the um, work you've done for the school. No, thank you for thank having you. me. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's absolutely lovely. Um, hopefully, keep an eye out for it if you're in the aerospace building. <laughs> Definitely. It's so, on the uh, it's in the third floor lounge. That sounds great. Thank you for coming on in. All right. So that was News Underground. That was with Ellie Marcotte, uh, upperclassman art student who um, worked on some worked on a mural for the uh, CU's aerospace department. So, anyways, thank you for tuning in to News Underground tonight. We appreciate you listening in. Make sure to tune back in on Wednesday at six for our Wednesday episode, and make sure to keep tuning in every week. 
All right. Thank you for listening to Radio 1190, your local independent radio station. That's 1190 AM and 8.9 FM. Translator code K255DA Boulder. We'll see you later. Back to the music.